0: You may or may not know that my uh, undergraduate work was done in communication broadcasting. Uh, so I always have had an affinity for the, the media, for the visual arts. And, and there's, one, uh, there's a unique tool that's used oftentimes in, in visual media. It's called the freeze frame. You may have seen it as you've watched a movie or something where all of a sudden the action freezes. And sometimes they're able to do it. The main character might walk out of that frame and may explain something. Or if they don't walk out of that frame, they narrate it. And the freeze frame is just what it says. The action is stopped and it's frozen. And then somehow you're giving context as the viewer. Maybe they'll say, well, let's go back a week and let me show you why we got to this moment. Or maybe they'll go back and the main character will change how he or she makes a decision and brings us forward to a different freeze frame. Imagine, as we finished up last week, the story of Jonah. Jonah and the sailors in the raging storm. And the sailors hear from Jonah, there's only one way to save me, and that is pick me up and throw me into the the sea. As we talked about last week, Jonah would have rather died than to have gone to Nineveh. So he figures, this is the way I can get out of it. And imagine as they pick Jonah up after they've tried everything else and they throw him overboard, the frame freezes. We have Jonah. We have the sailors in various uh, poses of fear and terror as two of them are releasing him over the sea. And we picked the story up this morning at the freeze frame. Turn with me to the book of Jonah, if you will, and the Minor Prophets. Jonah, we're going to actually pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 1. When Jonah hit the water, he figured... He was as good as dead. Listen to the word of God. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, to those who cling cling to worthless idols. Turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give, gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Second freeze frame. Jonah thought he was dead. He hits the water and it's over. He's like... He did it. He accomplished it. He doesn't have to go to Nineveh. But Jonah forgot something. Jonah forgot that God is still in control of the situation, whether Jonah likes it or not. And as we read the end of Jonah chapter 1 and we go into Jonah chapter 2, we have got to keep that reality in mind. God is in complete control. God had a plan. And God was going to see to it that that plan got accomplished. Let me go back for a minute. And some of you have heard this little story before. So when I was in in Russia back in 2002, I flew out, by the way, six months to the day after 9-11. And so I'm there in Siberia. I was teaching Old Testament wisdom literature to students, about 30 of them. And uh, one day, one of my students raised his hand and, and he asked through an interpreter, if God is sovereign or if God is in control, why should we pray? Those are tough questions. I'm sitting there formulating my response and there's a knock at the door. Now, I was told something by my host. The professor is sovereign in the classroom. I like that. You're in control. Whatever you say goes. There was a knock at the door. There was an elderly gentleman. He said through my interpreter, would the professor allow some of the students to come down to the warehouse and unload a truckload of Gospels of John to be sent out through the city to be used in an outreach? I needed time to think, so I thought. So I said, Yes, we'll do that. So we took a break. I said, let's take a break. And so and I went down, we put on gloves. We're hauling these boxes out, we're loading them up, you know, and and it was just me and the guys in the classroom and, and we're joking around. A couple of the guys were up there drinking their tea watching us. I said, you know, they're like the bosses of where the work and we're laughing, we're having a good time. And in that moment, God gave me my answer. We get back to the classroom, we all get settled down again, and I said, I want to come back to Dimitri's question. A few minutes ago, had I said, no, I'm sorry, we don't have time to unload those boxes, somebody would have done it. You see, in God's plan, those boxes were here. And God would have seen to it. Somebody would have stepped up. Maybe the gentleman that came. All of those boxes would have gotten unloaded. All of those boxes would have been opened. Those Gospels of John would have gone throughout the city of Krasniarsk. And people would have repented. But you and I would have missed the blessing of being involved. I said, God always has a plan, and he always carries it out, but he invites you and me into the process. God had a plan for Nineveh, and God had invited Jonah into the process, and Jonah had said, I don't want to be part of that process. I don't want to go talk to them. And he thought, I'll take matters into my own hand." And you know what? God always offers us opportunity to be involved in His plan. And if we say, I don't want to do it, God doesn't go, oh my gosh, I don't have a plan B. God always has a plan B. He always knows how He's going to accomplish His plan, but He invites you and me into the process. You see, what that reminds me is a simple statement. God is truly supreme God is supreme. Another way to say that is God is sovereign. I want to use the word supreme today. Chapter 1 revealed God's supremacy. And it's highlighted in verse 17. Now the Lord provided, or a better word for that would be the Lord appointed a huge fish. He's supreme over the animal kingdom. He appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. Now, we can debate all day long about what kind of fish it was. We know that whales, whale sharks, have at times in history, there have been recorded where they swallowed a human being and, and that person has survived. And some of us, we've seen various animated depictions of different big fish. You know, if you're old enough to remember Pinocchio, they're all sitting there on, in the whale and there's stuff floating around. Same with a few, a few years later, Veggie Tales. We don't know. I don't know if, one, if Jonah was even aware of his surroundings. Uh, we may wonder how Jonah survived the digestive juices of the fish. We really get, a, get all caught up in the periphery, don't we? If God wanted to, he could have not only appointed this fish, but he could have created a fish specifically for this moment. The Bible just says he appointed a huge fish. He assigned a fish to, in the middle of a storm, a fish large enough to swallow a human in the middle of the storm to be there so that when Jonah comes screaming off of the ship, that fish just goes and takes him. God appointed that. You know, I used to do a lot of fishing. In fact, one of my bucket list items, if I could survive the swells, would be to go and fish in a deep sea fishing. And I want to catch a marlin and mount it on a wall. God hasn't appointed that to happen. It's not going to happen yet. I've been fishing and I've caught nothing. It's like, God, can't you appoint a fish? You don't need it to survive, Scott. Just enjoy the moment. God appointed a fish. Jonah is cast into the sea. God brings the storm down. We're going to see this idea of appointments in chapter 4 as well. But here's, here's another thing I want you to remember. When you or I, like Jonah, are in difficult situations that are of our own making, God is still supreme. God hasn't lost a step. He hasn't been caught off guard. God may let us kind of wallow in the mess of our own making for a while. Uh, We may feel the pain of the mess that we've made. We may suffer the consequences of the mess that we've made. But God hasn't kind of lost the handle. When you and I, unlike Jonah, are in difficult situations that are not of our own making, God is still in control because he is supreme. God never loses control of the situation no matter what it looks like to us. God is there. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes you want to ask him, well, if you were there, why didn't you do A, B, and C? And sometimes God might answer those questions, and sometimes he wants us to be satisfied with the fact that even in the midst of our pain, he was there grieving with us. But he's never lost control. Now, we don't know at what point Jonah began to pray. Uh, We're told that he was in the fish for three days and three nights. And and that's a very important little detail in the text. You see, in the ancient world, they considered that after three days and three nights, an individual was good and dead. Uh, That was very important. In fact, if you go to your New Testament, to John 11, when Lazarus was in the grave, he had been in the grave for four days. And uh, so, and and decomposition would have started by then. Martha says, quoting the King James, Lord, by now he stinketh. Uh, And so three days and three nights is an important detail because that means he was really dead. Now that's going to be very significant when we get to the end of chapter 2. So Jonah's there. We don't know if it was after that time that he kind of looks around and realizes, well, I don't know where I am. But what we do know is that at some point, Jonah utters a prayer. A prayer that I just read for you. And see, sometimes God lets you and me who claim to know him get to a point where we are so backed into a corner that we have basically three options. Option one, we can quit. We can give up. In fact, Jonah had already tried that. God's not going to let him quit. Option two, we can try to figure it out on our own. And we'll work to figure it out on our own. And maybe in the process, we can find some people to blame for our fix and and, and try to figure it out. Or option three, we just cry out to God. I think one of the most powerful prayers you and I can pray at times is, Lord, help. Lord, help me. It's what Peter prayed when he was going down for the third time. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And here's what we find. God is always ready to listen. Jonah's prayer comes from inside the fish. Don't know if Jonah realizes where he is. I'll get to that in a minute. We'll look at another option for him. But wherever he thinks he is, he realizes he has his senses about him. He realizes that he can think. And all he has left is prayer. There's some things about this prayer that are noticeable. And there are some omissions in this prayer that are noticeable. It's a prayer of thanksgiving that he's still alive. It's a prayer of a realization that he is in the hands of God. It's a prayer of hope that maybe he'll be spared. Okay, maybe this, you know, all right, this idea of running from God, it sounded good in my head at the time, but maybe it's not the best idea. It's a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of understanding that he sought the wrong things. It's a prayer of determination that if you'll let me, God, I'll obey. And in fact, it's a prayer that draws on the Psalms. There's a handout in the foyer, I sent one out in the email, that lists about 20 different references to the Psalms in Jonah's prayer. When Jonah was in a fix, it was the word of God that came first to his mind. Psalms that Jonah alludes to in this prayer are amazing. We read Psalm 30 at the beginning of the service. That's one of the Psalms. And I know we talk a lot about it, but I just never want to tire of telling you God's Word is vital in your life and mine. The more you become familiar with it, the more you read it, the more you even work to memorize it. And for some of you, in the younger set, that's easier said than some of us in the older set. But the more that you work to memorize it, the more it will be there when you need it. Remember just a few weeks ago when you know that whole air conditioning debacle came about, I've told people, I don't do well in those situations. I do not do. It. I'm sorry. This is true confessions. I don't. But... That day, that day I had just read in the book of Exodus the nation of Israel at the Red Sea crying out to Moses, Did you bring us out here to the desert to die? And Moses turns to the Lord and the Lord says, I will fight this battle for you. And that's all that came to my mind when the guy said, Here oh, compressors again. You're going to need a new unit. I just thought, okay God, you're going to fight this battle for me. And all of a sudden, for the probably the first time in over 30 years of ministry when something bad happened, I didn't get all up in arms. I just thought, okay. I don't know how, but God did it. God fought the battle. He used so many people to fight the battle alongside. And we're waiting. We took the deposit in on Monday. We're waiting for the unit to come. If you want to come, I'll let you know. You can watch the crane at work. We need the Word of God in our lives. It guides us. It directs us. It corrects us. So Jonah begins and he states, In his distress, I call to the Lord. Uh, What I find interesting in this whole prayer is there's never a confession of sin in this prayer. You look at it again. Jonah never says, I bullet, it, God! I messed up so bad. I am so sorry. I sinned against you. No, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. God, you listen. He cried out. He says, God, I cried to you and you listened for my prayer. Why? Because that's the character of God. God doesn't go against his character. He listens. And he says, you hurled me into the depths of the sea. Well, I thought that was just a couple of sailors. Well, it was, but that's God in control. God, they were your instruments. You, in essence, I know that you were in charge. Your waves and breakers swept over me. Remember, Jonah said, I serve the God who created the earth and the sea. And Jonah realizes this was all about God. Jonah is aware, he said, I've been banished from your sight. He's aware that he's been banished, that he's been put away I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. He knows it, he's hoping that someday he gets to see the temple of God. Remember, you and I talk about God being omnipresent. Many times in the ancient world, it was God was at the temple. That's where he was. Now, David would write in Psalm 139, Where can I flee from your presence? Jonah's getting a taste of the fact that I can't run from the presence of God. But there was a special relationship with the temple. Jonah says, I want to look again at your temple. Remember this misconception that we have talked about a lot in this series. That idea that since we're God's chosen people, nothing bad can happen to us, no matter what we do. We, you know, sometimes we fall prey to that. I shouldn't lose my job, I follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, my work ethic isn't really what it should be, but I follow Jesus, so I shouldn't lose my job. God won't let tragedy come into my life. I know Jesus. God is a God of grace. So if I mess up, he'll forgive me. In fact, I've seen that taken to another extreme. God is a God of grace and forgiveness, so I'll do whatever I well please, and then I'll go ask for forgiveness, and we'll all be good, and we'll all go. That's a misconception. God holds us responsible, accountable for how we live our lives. Jonah realized he's been banished from God's sight. All of a sudden, he's feeling neglected. He's feeling ignored. He longs to be at the place of God's dwelling again. And Jonah has been through, well, a little bit of trauma, wouldn't you say? And you know what happens when we go through trauma? Sometimes we just rehearse the trauma. And it's part of the healing process to go back and to kind of go rehearse the trauma again. And Jonah goes through and so he goes back. He rehearses the trauma in in verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I don't know exactly when the fish. I said he kind of gulped him at the time. I don't know. Maybe God let Jonah feel it for a little bit. And he said, "You know, I'm I'm caught up in the seaweed. I'm going down. I don't see a, I I don't see an answer. I sank down into the roots of the mountains. I sank down, and so Jonah's rehearsing that trauma of going down and 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 not having a way back up, and the waves over him. There's an interesting little word picture here. When you and I run from God in disobedience, we." The reality is our lives sink. Jonah ran from God and he went down to Joppa. And then Jonah got on a ship and when he got on the ship, he went down into the ship. The NIV says he went below, but he went down to sleep. The the sailors tossed him overboard and he went down into the sea. And the fish came along and he went down into the fish. Downness is a metaphor for running away from God. Jonah went down in every way. I believe, as you look at this, where Jonah says, to the roots of the mountain I sank down, verse 6, the earth beneath barred me in forever. I believe Jonah thought he was experiencing the last moments of his life. I don't think, in his mind, being swallowed by the fish was such a great thing in the minute. Somehow he sensed he was alive, maybe a bit cramped, but he had no hope for survival. He's calling out to God from a heart of distress. He's calling out to God from a heart of affliction. Uh, I believe Jonah may have thought, so this is what Sheol is. Sheol was the Hebrew word for the place of death. Uh, It it meant, it's just down. It's somewhere away from here. It's somewhere down into the earth. It was Sheol. And, And this is where everybody went. And he said, okay, so this is what it is. Kind of slimy, kind of smelly, and I'm stuck here. And he cries out to God. He believed he was in the depths of the earth. Notice something else in this prayer. There are no real expressions of love for God. There's praise for being alive, but not a true loving expression for thankfulness of who God is. There's no expression of the character of God except that he's looking for God to save him. I believe there's a realization, though. There's a realization that he had forfeited God's grace because of idols in his life. Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So I can turn away from your love, but, but God, do you really love me? Do I know you love me? Do I love you? I've turned away from your love. A realization that he's forfeited God's grace. Jonah knew that he was in the situation he was in because of idols. I don't think he's thinking of the Ninevites right now. I think Jonah's realizing, oh my goodness, anybody who turns from an idol, this is where we go, far away from God. Jonah had idols in his life. We don't talk about them a lot. Mainly Jonah's idol was the idol of self. Remember, he tried to manipulate God by running, thinking God would just let him go. Uh, His personal desires, his personal comfort, his personal well-being had become idols in his life. The Ninevites are awful, wicked People, I don't want them as my brothers and sisters. I don't want them to follow God. I don't want them to hear about the news of repentance. I don't want them to be like us. I would rather die than to have them be like us. My personal comfort. I'm going to go to Tarshish. It's a beautiful place. It's on the seacoast of Spain most likely. I'll rest, relax, be tanned and, and I'm just going to live out the rest of my days in comfort and peace. Because I don't want them to know about God. And he indicates when we cling to idols, we miss God's grace. Several years ago, a friend of mine, a colleague, actually defined an idol this way. He said, it is idolatry to worship something we should use. And it's idolatry to use something we should worship. Jonah, in essence, was using God, and it wasn't working out well for him. See, anything or anyone can be an idol, because an idol always gets between me and God. When I make anything in my life an idol, or anyone in my life an idol, I turn to my devices, and I miss out on the wonder of God's grace and God's mystery, and God's work. In fact, the way you and I approach God can be idolatrous as we try to get God to make us comfortable, to get God to somehow keep hardship from our lives, to, to get God to bless us over someone else. When we attempt to use God to make our lives what we want them to be or what we think we want them to be, we're using him instead of worshiping him. And another way to say that is we try to manage the deity. God will not be managed. God will not be manipulated. God will not be conjoled. We can't somehow trick him into doing what we want. Jonah says, I've forfeited your love, your grace. And there's only one way to be restored to God's grace in his mind. And look how Jonah concludes. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah says, basically, God, I'll do what you told me to do. I will... I will do it. I will do it and I I will sacrifice to you. I will will try to make things right. And there's a promise to be obedient. Because he realizes there's only one hope. Salvation is from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Another act of sovereignty. Sovereignty. Grossness, but sovereignty. Can you imagine Jonah standing on the beach, looking back, and maybe seeing the tail fins of the fish? Ah, oh! <laughs> ah! I mean, he's slimy. It is believed by some that probably, if he were in the digestive juices of the fish, that his skin would have been blanched. And it's just like, really, God, <laughs> just as gross as you can imagine. But that tells me something about God. Notice what happens in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Take your Bibles back. Go to chapter 1, go to verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Almost identical. God is a God of second chances. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is a God of second chances. And while God is a God of second chances, we have to be very careful not to let that be an excuse for disobedience. Jonah... When he was praying in the fish, had no concept that God was going to give him a second chance. And as he's standing there on the beach, slimy, gross, smelly, he hears the word of God a second time. And I think he probably took a look at the sea and went, yeah, we're, we're going to Yeah, we're not going back there. We're going going this way. Nothing can be worse than where I've been. The Ninevites can't do worse than where I've been. We're going this way. We'll see it again next week. Most scholars believe that one of the false gods of the Ninevite was a god by the name of Nanesh. Nanesh was the fish god. So someone who survives the sea being swallowed by a fish, being inside the belly of that fish three days and three nights, and don't think the word didn't travel in the ancient world. It traveled. I mean, there may have been a a fisherman sitting there working on his nets, and all of a sudden, (laughs) blah! What? Somehow they knew. In essence, coming from the dead... That's going to get attention. That's an attention grabber. That's going to make billboards. The reality is God could have worked through Jonah without the fish had Jonah simply been obedient. God is a God of second chances, but he would rather not have to give us a second chance. He invited Jonah into the process and Jonah ran. So God gives Jonah a second chance, showing his grace. Jonah obeys. That second chance, as we said, begin just like the first one. You know, basically, when God gives us a second chance, he expects obedience. What do you sense God telling you to do today? Who does God want you to connect with today? Now, what if it had been a movie? What if this had been a movie with a freeze frame? What if Jonah had walked out of the freeze frame and took us back to that moment when God told him to go to Nineveh? What if Jonah would have said, here's what should have happened? But we'll never know. Because what we do know is Jonah got another chance. And to one degree, he did make good on it. Some of us in this room are old enough to recall times when we had a second chance. Times when God gave us a second chance, or maybe even a friend gave us a second chance. Some of us might even be able to recall a time when we actually had a, a third chance. And if you're recalling a second chance right now, I bet you're also recalling, but I wish I would have done it the first time. I wish I would have been kind the first time. I wish I would have shown grace the first time. I wish I didn't have to have the second chance. Despite the prayers, despite the fish vomiting up, and the fact that he survived being glad for a second chance. I think the real lesson for each of us is that when we know what God wants us to do, we do it the first time. This week, you and I are going to have opportunities. We don't even know what they are yet. But I know that we're going to have opportunities to encourage. They're going to happen. I know that there's going to come an opportunity to help. I believe some of us are going to have an opportunity to bless someone else. I believe we're going to have an opportunity to walk alongside someone else and actually gently correct them, but not just correct them, then put our arm around them and say, let me walk with you along the path. And while we know God is supreme, and while we know God listens, and while we know that God gives second chances, would you remember again, First time obedience is always the best. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for, well, thank you for letting us see Jonah as a real person. Lord, one of the things I so appreciate about your word is you don't pull any punches. We don't get sanitized characters. We get real people who made real messes and a real God who helped them clean them up. Lord, may we, whatever you bring into our lives this week, whatever challenges we face, whatever situations we're at, Lord, when we have that opportunity, may we be people of first-time obedience. And in that, may we see that you are still the God who's supreme, the God who listens, and the God who would have given a second chance if we needed it. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.